Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, an evening that we are more or less hitting the reset button. You know, we have been about finding Christ in cinema, but as I announced last week, Father Mike and I could no longer uh, do that. We just didn't have the time, per se, to sit down and prepare the evenings as we had been preparing them now. This does not mean we are going to shelf altogether that program. It's just for the time being. He and I both have every intention of bringing the program back. But for now, um, given his schedule and given my schedule, we are going to re-engage the topic of special topics and answering your questions. Because as I went back into my archive, I did see as far as um, the number of hits and who was listening to what, that this was a popular program, so I wanted to bring it back. Certainly, this topic of special topics and answering your questions is, in the end, about meeting you where you are at. What are the questions on your heart? What is in your mind? Those classic apologetic questions, or maybe something you're going through spiritually, or maybe there's just a smaller question that has been burning on your heart for a long time, and you just finally got the courage to ask it. We we try to address all the questions, if you will, uh, just not about the Catholic faith or the Christian Catholic faith, but uh, just more generally about the nature of truth, the nature of revelation. This is, in fact, what the Christian and Catholic faith bears witness to. Now, all of that being said, we do have before us at least one question, if not two questions, to respond to. I'm going to tackle the first question, and I've got something prepared for the second question, but I'm not sure if the first question is going to take us through this whole evening, so we'll just kind of see how we do. The first question is this, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe you are one who has asked that question. So this evening we're going to respond to that question, and I should say just off the top, this is more or less a part two to a program that aired on, oh, let's see here, I've got it, August 31st, 2017, because on that Thursday, I responded to your question, uh, why do we suffer? And in many ways, to respond to the question, uh, why do bad things happen to good people, will cross over into some of that response that you might find in, you know, why do people suffer? So we'll answer that question, and then if we have time, We'll talk about this other question and really a response to a statement, I'm spiritual but not religious. Maybe you've heard that before. I'm spiritual but not religious. Uh, so I've been asked, how do you converse with someone on that topic? So God willing, if we have time, we'll address that question. And if we don't, we'll take it up next week. All right, so why do bad things happen to good people? First, let me say that this question often comes from a heart that is suffering someone who has experienced bad things. And to that, my dear friends, we must always remember that the best answer is probably just our presence, especially if we are talking about tragedy. The only answer really is your presence when you are talking about tragedy. 
to simply grieve with those who are grieving, to simply weep with those who are weeping. Now, in this vein, I think too often we look at the sorrow and the pain that we and others experience, and we tend to overthink it. And by that I mean we tend to figure out a matter of the heart with exclusively the mind. And the fallout is that we get a bit defensive or or maybe angry with God and, and try to diffuse our defensiveness or anger with ideas we might think we think might help us cope. We say to ourselves things like, God will never give me what I can't handle, or that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger, and so on and so forth. And while these truths very well might be true, this does not address our emotions. Certainly, to contemplate upon those uh, truths, those statements, God will never give me what I can't handle, or that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger, can help you. But if we are not present to our emotions, then there will be a greater downward spiral. You see, we ask the question, if God loves us and is all-powerful, why does he let us hurt? Because, my friends, we don't like to hurt, right? One of my favorite theologians, if not the favorite theologian, Peter Kreft, put it well when he said that our problem is answered not so much by explanations, but reassurances, and, and that is what we get, right? The reassurance of the Father in the person of Jesus. We could put it another way as one priest put it. Is there really any answer that could be provided that would make us look at the horrors and pains of our life and say, okay, it's all good. Now that I've heard that response, I'm good. No, (laughs) we wouldn't do that. On one level, it seems that we hope there is some answer that will make the hurt stop. But my dear friends, you and I both know It is high time we should purge that concept from mind and heart. I mean, really think about this. Even if for a moment the heavens were to open and we got a because or or a why to what might mitigate the pain we are going through, whether it be physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, does knowing how you broke your leg make your leg stop hurting? Right? So... I speak to this now because just off the top, we have to put that before us and and understand that this is something much deeper that we need to wrestle with. Because your hurt, my hurt, their hurt, everyone's hurts, none of it is soothed by an explanation of why we are hurting. But what will help is knowing how we can carry that hurt. Again, As Peter uh, Kreft reflects, the answer to our pain is not a philosophy, but a person, and that person is Jesus. His answer to our pain, we could say, is his presence. You've heard me talk about Job a great deal. Anytime I'm talking about suffering in this context, I turn to Job because there is a point that we often miss, and it is this. We say, oh, only if I had the patience of Job. And yeah, I get it. Job was on a level a patient man. But what I would suggest to you is that to really get at the heart of that story is to identify Job as, well, a bit impatient, right? He was an orator. He was, he was one who was inclined to ask questions, and he was constantly asking questions of our Lord. Why this? Why that? Why am I going through this, God? And did he get his answer? Yeah, God appeared to him and had a few things to say to him. Job, were you there when I created the cosmos? 
Were you there when I created earth? Were you there when I put animals into the world? No. Then how could you possibly know the greater scheme of my divine providential sovereign love? Did this solve all of Job's pain? Did his pain go away? No. Job was, and this is the key that unlocks the mystery of Job. Job was satisfied when, but when he was in God's presence. If he was satisfied because he got an answer from God, it was answer capital A, the answer that is God. You see, quintessential. All right, something else here. It's interesting to consider that as human beings, we tend to avoid other people's pain. Are you someone who does that? I've done it before. I want to say that again. As human beings, we tend to avoid other people's pain. In the past, when I've talked to families who've lost a loved one, they often tell me of feelings of uh, abandonment by friends. People who might have been extremely supportive during the funeral and for maybe a couple weeks afterward began to what but slowly fade away. And as maybe we have experienced even being avoided. This point is highlighted by uh, C.S. Lewis in one of his many classic works uh, titled A Grief Observed. So here in A Grief Observed, he's writing about his experience after his wife died. And this is what C.S. Lewis has to say. An odd byproduct of my loss is that I'm aware of being an embarrassment to everyone I meet. At work, at the club, in the street, I see people as they approach me trying to make up their minds whether they'll say something about it or not. I hate if they do, and if they don't. Some funk it altogether. I like best the well-brought-up young men, almost boys, who walk up to me as if I were a dentist, turn very red, get it over, and then edge away to the bar as quickly as they decently can. And he closes here... <laughs> Perhaps the bereaved ought to be isolated in special settlements like lepers. Like lepers. What is he speaking to? But the human response to pain. We just tend to avoid it. We avoid our pain. We avoid other people's pain. Well, why? Because we just want to avoid pain altogether. But here's the catch. This is not the divine response. Not at all. The response of God to the inevitable pain of we humans living in a fallen world was and is to immerse himself into it. That's why he came to dwell among us. God took on the human experience. In his birth and in his person, Jesus joined together the human and divine and forever changed what it means to be human. There is no longer any human experience outside of sin that is not a divine experience as well. And this includes, for you and I, our tears. Again, to draw from the wisdom and insight of Peter Kreft, with Jesus' birth, human tears became divine tears. You see, my friends, beyond the overt beauty of God himself joining in our sorrow, what is it that we recognize? We recognize that he also offers to sanctify it. You see? Sanctify that's a word that comes from the Greek hagiazo, to set apart. He wishes to sanctify what is human and to order it to the divine. And when we recognize that he, he offers before us 
this sanctification, making our suffering not just about the pain of living in a fallen world, but what? Revealing to us what it means to help him save it, to share in the redemptive mission of Jesus Christ. This is the great wisdom that comes to us from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. So, when we recognize God's presence with us in our sorrow, we can also say to God, I join my suffering to yours. And in that simple surrender, we join Jesus in his suffering and ultimately, again, help save the world. This is the pearl of wisdom that is before us when Jesus calls us to share in the mystery of his cross. Brothers and sisters, we hurt. We hurt, and so often we hurt because we love. As John Paul II once said, there is no love without suffering, and there is no suffering without love. The question for us is, will we take up both realities? Our God did. Our God did. And amen to that. He loves us. He hurts with us. And his invitation to us in our pain is, if you love me, hurt with me. What a vocation. I know you asked the question out there, why do bad things happen to good people? And maybe you weren't expecting this as a response, but brothers and sisters in Christ, really, when you get into the heart of sacred scripture and the deposit of faith and the wisdom of the saints, this is what is before us. This remarkable love, this relentless love that hell itself cannot stop, right? Hell itself cannot stop the crucifix, cannot stop the cross. So in the end, the battle cry of our God and his answer to our pain is not so much in explanation, if you will, but if we're going to put this in the context of presence, then it is in entrance, in entrance. You see, he entered into human history not to become just another person in history. No, but to become the one person that helps us make sense of our broken history, our broken past. He lovingly, powerfully, and gently enters into our wounds with us. He cries out to us from the cross, you are not alone. He takes our suffering and draws it into himself so that our tears and wounds are not just consequences of living in a broken and fallen world, but a divine experience. This, my friends, is the essence of what this question's all about. And let me also say the essence of John Paul II's beautiful, illuminating document on human suffering. If you want to read anything on human suffering, and I'm not in the business of recommending papal documents on air, right? but I will tell you, John Paul II's letter on human suffering is absolutely phenomenal. The Christian Meaning of Human Suffering, authored by JP2. Google that, find it. Salvavici Dolores is the, the Latin there. Um, great read. So, weep and let God weep with you. Because, as we now know in one of the more remarkable passages from divine revelation, sacred scripture, God weeps. The greatest consolation is nothing more than the reassurance that we are not alone. Whatever pain, whatever sorrow, whatever loss we have experienced or are experiencing right now will be redeemed in heaven. There, 
when we see love face to face. All that has been separated or lost by the grace of God will be joined and reunited. Amen? Amen. All right, how am I doing on time? Okay, let's tackle this other question. And this is uh, more of a question about a statement. And the statement is, I'm spiritual but not religious. And the question then is, what might be a good way or good ways to respond to that statement? All right, well, I just so happened to be listening to Bishop Barron uh, yesterday, and uh, he offered a few sound bites to this question. And so what I want to do is just touch upon something Bishop Barron said in that podcast and then explore this question further. Uh, first, to what uh, Bishop Barron said on this topic, his thought was this, we need to respond to that statement with a question. And I love that. If you've been listening to this radio program, you know that sometimes, if not all the time, the best answer to a question is, oh, but another question. And to the question, or in this case, maybe a statement, I'm spiritual but not religious, maybe we should ask, how do you practice your spirituality? This is a very important question because when people say they are spiritual rather than religious, they frequently mean that although they don't practice a specific religion, they recognize there is more to the world than than just matter, that it has a spiritual dimension. So we should affirm, right? We should affirm the fact that they have identified, at the very least, the spiritual world. This is good. But... What we also know is that it doesn't go far enough. It is always good to know more, right? In every field, having more knowledge is better. And it makes sense, certainly, to ask if we can learn more about the world's spiritual dimension. From a Christian perspective, you and I both know we can learn a lot more. As we were just reflecting into the other question, God loves us and wants us to know Him. He just doesn't want us to have feelings or guesses about Him. Right? We don't fall in love with a feeling. We don't fall in love with an emotion. We don't fall in love with a guess. We don't fall in love with the hypotheses, per se. What we fall in love with is God himself. And we fall more in love with God the more we get to know God. Right? I still remember those early days of courting my wife. Yes, there was that initial attraction. And I will tell you something, my friends. The more I got to know about my now wife of 14 years, the more I fell in love with her. And I will say to you, 14 years later of marriage, I'm still getting to know my wife and I'm still falling in love with my wife. That's the beauty of relationships. Now put that into the context of our relationship with God. God is mystery, mysterium, inexhaustible reality. Brothers and sisters, we can never exhaust the treasure of God. And what's beautiful about it is the more we come to know, the more we realize how little we know, as St. Thomas Aquinas would say. And as we do come to know him, we get excited about what we come to know because only he can satisfy our deepest longing. God knows our longing more than we know our own. Why? Because he put it there. And why? Because he's our longing. God loves us and wants us to know him. When he created the universe, God left evidence that allows us to learn certain things about him. What does Paul say in that infamous uh, verse from, from chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 20? Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. 
So what Paul is saying there is that to creation itself, God has left us a love letter. And it's about time we start reading that love letter because it is a letter that reveals something about himself. And it is a letter that will lead to other letters. And those letters are sacred scripture. Amen? Amen. Now, the good Lord also left evidence in the human heart. Here we can turn to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 33, one of my favorite paragraphs. With man's openness to truth and beauty, his sense of moral goodness, his freedom and the voice of his conscience, with his longings for the infinite and for happiness, man questions himself about God's existence. In all this, he discerns signs of his spiritual soul, the soul, the seed of eternity we bear in ourselves. I love that line. One of my favorite lines in all the catechism, the soul, the seed of eternity we bear in ourselves. Irreducible to the merely material can have its origin only in God. Only in God. So here we have this topic of conscience, that law which is inscribed upon our heart, that sense of right and wrong that has been inscribed upon our heart. Now we need to form our conscience like anything, right? The heart is a muscle. We need to develop that muscle. We need to form it in the very truth that created it, God. So very important that we can reason truth, beauty, and goodness because God inscribed it upon our heart. Now, I suppose, too, this discussion should also include a word about apologetics. Apologetics, that discipline of theology that examines and, and presents the evidence of, in this case, how God has communicated with us with the ultimate purpose of helping us discover God and the joy he wants us to have. Again, here I'm thinking of paragraph 27 from the Catechism, that the desire for God is written in the human heart. Why? Because man is created by God and for God, and God never ceases to draw man to himself. I mean, spend time with the Catechism. You have some beautiful lines there. That paragraph 27 closes only in God will he find the truth and happiness he never stops searching for. Beautiful. Brothers and sisters, we have been wired by our Creator, but we don't look at ourselves as just a creation because our Creator is also a Father, which means we are son or daughter, right? And only through that prism of relationship, that glorious divine adoption, can we begin to understand the deeper meaning of what it means to say, I'm spiritual, okay? Now, another question I like to ask, just to get to the heart of the matter, is what do you mean by spirituality? Because in my mind, any discussion on spirituality must evoke what is in the Word itself, right? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit in this case. I mean, who is going to talk about being a Christian and not talk about Christ? Well, <laughs> who is going to talk about spirituality and not talk about the Holy Spirit. And we can talk about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because of divine revelation. And here again, my friends, lies the importance of understanding that truth does not come exclusively from within, but from without, right? Truth is something discovered. That is to say, knowledge itself is not based just in what I think something to be, but what I discover something is. 
The church speaks in the framework of ought because there was first an is, and that is is God. Now, I suppose some of us have come across the person who says they are spiritual but not religious because they have had a bad encounter with the church. And you see, they do not want to identify with an institution. You know, the word church or religion today, especially with the drive-by media, just has all sorts of negative undertones. And to that person, I can only say engage accordingly. What do I mean? Well, remember what I have said in the past about going into a conversation with assumptions. To go into any kind of spiritual, apologetic, religious conversation with assumptions is, in the words of one hook, <laughs> bad form. Bad form. Why? Because ultimately, you will never get to the heart of the matter. Each and every one of us has a particular set of experiences in a very unique history, okay? And what I mean by that is each and every one of us has a history that is unlike anyone else. And so if we're going to respond to someone's question, we have to allow that experience, that uniqueness, that history to speak for itself and vested with all of the tools that are before us in the realm of apologetics, respond accordingly. But listen, listen first. If you want to speak better, listen more. I'll say that again. If you want to speak better, listen more. This is what Pope Francis challenged us with in his document, Joy of the Gospel, and his phrase, the art of listening, the call we have to enter into that dynamism of giving someone the opportunity to share their story. Especially when it comes to this question, I'm spiritual but not religious, because it is often tied to a bad encounter with the church. Let them tell that story. And again, then respond accordingly. Be compassionate. Be truthful, of course, but be compassionate. And that conversation will go where it needs to go. One sister, Catherine Doherty, once said, you can listen someone into being. Oh, I love that phrase. You can listen someone into being. What does she mean there? Well, listen, and you can help them come out of their shell into the being they are called to be in the light of God and in the light of truth. Amen? Amen. All right, we are out of time. If you have any questions, comments, observations about anything we have talked about this evening or anything about the Christian Catholic faith, please don't hesitate to send me an email. Just go to uh, joeholcraft.org, J-H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T.org. Hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. All right, let's close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.